Maybe you felt chills or goosebumps. Perhaps it's an overwhelmed feeling of something bigger than you or more complex. Whatever the feeling, God put the response in your soul as a reminder of His presence, power, and glory. It's called awe, and He wants to remind us of it every day in many ways. Join us as we discover how God has used His awe to inspire others to follow Him deeper in their lives. So today on In Awe by Bruce, I'm excited to talk to Andrew Lawler. He is the author of Under Jerusalem, The Buried History of the World's Most Contested City. And the paperback of that is coming out September 26th, so be looking for that. Also, an article just in National Geographic that he wrote on the Dome of the Rock will be of interest to you. He also has written The Secret Token, Myth, Obsession, and the Search for the Lost Colony of Roanoke. And Andrew, I got to admit, I, as a history major, yes, I do have obsession there. <laughs> and uh, the acclaimed Why Did the Chicken Cross the World? The Epic Saga of the Birds That Power Civilization. His works have appeared in the New York Times, Washington Post, National Geographic, as we just mentioned, the Smithsonian. He is a contributing writer for science and a contributing editor for archaeology. His works have appeared in things like Best of Science and Nature Writing. That's where he's appeared uh, several times. So, Andrew, welcome to In Awe by Bruce. Thanks so much. Nice to be here, Bruce. Thanks for coming in. As I mentioned, not only am I interested in Roanoke, but I'm very interested in the Dome of the Rock. And people might be that are listening might be saying, well, okay, Dome of Rock, yeah, it's nice and everything. It's in Jerusalem. But why is it important to Christians here in America or around the world? Well, this is one of the world's most important buildings. Uh, I don't think there's any way of uh, getting around that. Uh, this is a, a, a fantastic piece of architecture that also is a piece of cultural and religious history that is of interest to, to Jews and Christians as well as Muslims. The Dome of the Rock is built over a rock which is probably probably has attracted more religious stories and legends than any other place on earth. So you tell me where you want to go with that, because we could talk for a couple of days about this. Okay. Well, one, if you read Andrew's article on National Geographic, you'll realize how passionate he is for this. And I've been to the Dome of the Rock. It's been quite a few number of years. But if I said the word Mount Moriah, would that ring anything well, at all? So Jerusalem yeah. is a, a wall city, and on one side of it is a big platform. It's basically an acropolis, like you have in Athens, an acropolis, uh -huh. of a, a large sacred space. And this has been a sacred space at least for 3,000 years. You know, of course, in the Bible, there's the mention of, of David building an altar on top of the high space that was just beyond Jerusalem, which at that point was a very, you know, a relatively small town. And since then, obviously, there's been you know, 3,000 years of construction, destruction, renovation. So it's turned this space, which is you know, maybe the size of a couple dozen football fields, you know, into a really fantastic combination of all three of these monotheistic traditions. And what was the earliest thought-to-happen religious experience on that site? Well, that's very difficult to know because archaeologically, that is, you know, the people who actually dig to find physical evidence 
are not digging there, just like there's not a lot of digging going on at other sacred places around the world. Uh, the, the Dome of the Rock and that platform, what Jews and Christians call the Temple Mount, and what Muslims call the Haram al-Sharif, or the Noble Sanctuary, is off limits to major archaeology. So all we really have to go on is what's in the text. Uh, the Bible, of course, being one key text, but there are lots of other uh, people uh, who mentioned this area over the course of the millennia. So it's very difficult to decide exactly who did what when, but certainly by the time the Israelites arrived sometime around 1000 BC, probably religious rituals, and probably before then, uh, it might well be that the Jebusites, who were the people who lived in Jerusalem prior to the Israelites conquering that town, they may well have uh, performed rituals on top of this mountain. So it could be that this was a sacred place going back even before the time of the Israelites' arrival. Okay. Bring us to how we got to today and why it's of importance to us now. Right. I'll give your listeners a, a brief history. So, as I mentioned, you know, you could go back to 3,000 years. We know that sometime around that time, the Israelites arrived, turned Jerusalem into the, the center of what became known as Judea. And the temple that was built, according to the biblical text by Solomon, became the center of what became known as Jewish worship. Now, the Babylonians came in in 586 BC, uh, according to biblical texts, as well as archaeology, we can show pretty clearly that the city was destroyed by mm -hmm. Babylonian forces, and the temple probably was destroyed then. Again, we don't have any evidence, physical evidence for the temple, uh, but we do have lots of textual references. And then after that, it was rebuilt slowly on a smaller scale. And then came the time that probably most familiar with, that is the time around Herod the Great's period, just before the birth of Jesus. And, and mm -hmm. this time, Herod, who was the king appointed by the Romans, who really were running the show, uh, he decided to make the Temple Mount into a, a really massive religious showplace uh, to really mm -hmm. show off Judaism. And it became an important site for tourists as well as pilgrims from around the Roman Empire who came to see this fantastic uh, collection of buildings, including, of course, the temple, which stood somewhere on that platform, uh, maybe toward the center of the platform. Then the Romans in 70 CE, 70 years after the birth of Jesus, they destroyed the temple during a Jewish civil war and an uprising against Rome. And the whole area was pretty much abandoned for a period although the Romans likely built their own temples to their own gods and goddesses for a couple of centuries. But by the time that the Romans become Christians, that is, they become Byzantines, what we call Byzantines, mm -hmm. that area was left in ruin. It was left in ruin by the Christians who wanted to make a point that Judaism was no longer a religious force and that Christianity had triumphed over Judaism. Yeah. Uh, this was their view then. So to leave this vast and important part of the city empty and in ruins was a part of Christian dogma at that time that said that, as Jesus had said, the temple would be destroyed, it was destroyed, and it would never be rebuilt. So that was the way things stood until the arrival of the Muslims. And they came out of Arabia in the seventh century with this new faith Islam. They captured Jerusalem pretty much without a fight. And they decided 
to take this ruined area that was clearly still held sacred by, by Jews and turn it into a, a center of worship. So that's where you get the beginning of the, the Muslim connection to this area. And of course, the Muslims were referring back. They heard stories about Solomon's temple. Uh, they knew that this was an important religious site, and they were appalled that it was left in ruins by the Christians. So yeah. they set about to turn it into a, a really uh, incredible complex. So for the next 1,200 years, they built an amazing uh, series of buildings, including, of course, the Dome of the Rock, which sits near the center of the platform. And this is the, the building that was kind of the crown jewel, you can say, of today's Acropolis. When we get to the Dome of the Rock, why is it called the Dome of the Rock? Yeah, this is a great question. And there's a lot of, there's so many fascinating stories because there's a rock underneath the dome, all right? It's a very rough piece of bedrock. Now, yes. according to some Jews, this was uh, the spot over which the Holy of the Holies within the Jewish temple stood. Others say, no, it was under the altar that was a little bit further to the east. Uh, Christians believe that um, there are many stories, including that this was where Mary introduced Jesus to the temple. And then, of course, Muslims have a completely different story. Their story is, is that this is where Muhammad came, and he went on a spiritual journey from this rock into the heavens, where he met all the prophets, including Jesus, who's an important prophet for Islam. Mm -hmm. And he came back to the Temple Mount with the news about how Muslims were supposed to pray, how often, and in what direction. So particularly for Muslims, this is a very, very sacred site. For Jews, there's the, the sanctity of the rock. It's unclear when that began. It might have begun before the Muslims. It might have been after. It's a little unclear when the legends of this being underneath the Jewish temple began. Might predate Muhammad, maybe not. So there's a lot of uncertainty because we're dealing with traditions and stories that are associated with a rock. And yeah. this is a piece of rock that is bedrock, right? So it's not movable. It's it's something that there's nothing underneath it because yeah. it's a giant piece of rock, although there is a cave underneath, but we can get to that later. Okay. And that does bring me to when I was there, the view was that this was where Abraham had taken Isaac to sacrifice him. Yes. And uh, some uh, also believe that this is actually the spot where Adam was created. Yeah. So you have you have so many stories for Muslims. You know, it's a, it's it's the place where Abraham sacrificed his other son. There are different stories that attach to this rock, most of which probably go back to maybe medieval times, mm -hmm. because you know, we don't have much in the biblical texts, which of course are earlier, that talk about these things happening at this spot. So. You know, again, you have legends that are created by Jews or by Muslims and Christians, and I think they kind of traded ideas about why this was sacred, and that changed over time. But the point is that this spot has been held sacred by members of all three monotheisms for a very, very long time, which makes it uh, an important religious place, whatever the specific reason you give for that. So bring us to today. Now it's a it's a huge flashpoint where when I was there as well as keeping up on it through today, you've got Jews that are looking to take it back over and rebuild a third temple. And you've got obviously the Muslims 
holding it as such a sacred place and so on and so forth. So now, now it's like a flashpoint. So fill us in on that. Yeah, I can't think of any other place on earth and certainly not a religious place that is so contested uh, where there's been so much violence for so long a period. And this really began early, really began about 100 years ago when this crazy team of treasure hunters who were led by a British aristocrat, mm-hmm. they decided they were going to try and dig beneath the Dome of the Rock because they were sure that the Ark of the Covenant and other temple treasures that had vanished during the Babylonian destruction that I mentioned, they were convinced that this valuable material was underneath this rock. And I mentioned there's a cave. So underneath the rock, there is a small cave. And these guys managed to bribe their way in. This is before World War I. At night, dressed as Arabs, they went in and began to hack away at the floor of this cave in the hope of finding these sacred treasures. Now, they were discovered by uh, Muslim worshipers who chased them out of town. They were lucky to get away with their lives. They didn't find anything, but this actually spawned this fascination, fixation on finding the Ark of the Covenant. Of course, we know from the Harrison Ford movies, you know, how much a part of our culture that is, but it really began there underneath the Dome of the Rock in this Mm -hmm. event. And, you know, Muslims were outraged. They were mad not so much at the the treasure hunters as they were at the Turks, because at that point, the Ottoman Empire controlled Jerusalem, and they Uh felt like these Turkish Muslims who were supposed to protect this holy site had instead sold it, basically sold it to these uh, European Christians. And as a result, the Dome of the Rock became a symbol of, uh, an early symbol of Palestinian nationalism. So the Muslims felt like it was their duty, the Palestinians living in that area, which was called Palestine then, to protect the Dome of the Rock from Christian treasure hunters. And only Mm -hmm. later, when Israel was formed, and then after the 1967 war, when Israel took control of East Jerusalem, which includes the Temple Mount, did it become a serious flashpoint between Jews and Muslims. So actually it began as a flashpoint between Muslims and Christians. Today it is a flashpoint between Jews and Muslims. And as you mentioned, uh, particularly today with a new Israeli government uh, that is made up of a right-wing coalition, there's a very strong push for Jews to be able to worship on the Temple Mount, which has been forbidden by Israeli law uh, in order to prevent religious conflict, you know, acknowledging that Muslims have, have been there for 1,400-odd years. So Jews are technically not allowed to pray there, but that may change. And I think if that begins to change in a big way, uh, we're very likely to see extreme violence and uh, possibly even uh, Middle Eastern war. Wow. Give us a little more insight into what you're hearing that that leads you to say that, because that obviously does mean things are ramping up. And you know, I've I've seen all the stuff about they had the have the red heifer, so they have the ability to cleanse a new temple and 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 that. And so, what what's going on else that's putting this together like that in your head? There are people who are extreme, you know, religious believers who are Jewish in Israel and elsewhere who. Want to, they want to rebuild the temple, they want to restart the sacrifices, they want to turn it back into the kind of religious slaughterhouse that the, the temple actually was. Uh, it was really a place where, where you're doing lots and lots of sacrificing of, of many animals. 
Mm -hmm. And so there is a, a, a movement that what used to be very small and marginal in Israel, but now is uh, quite politically powerful. And I even I interviewed uh, one man who was caught in the 1980s trying to blow up the Dome of the Rock with explosives because wow. he believed that if you blow it up, then the third temple would be built and, you know, the Jews would get back to where they had been before the Romans destroyed the temple 2000 years ago. And at the time, this was considered you know, very extreme talk, and he was put in jail. But now, you know, these 40 years later, it has become actually quite mainstream in Israel to talk about either destroying the Dome of the Rock or uh, building a Jewish temple somewhere you know, nearby on the Acropolis. And as I mentioned, this is political dynamite because there's no way that, uh, that Muslims would, would allow this to happen, given the history that goes back even before the foundation of the state of Israel. So we're really dealing with fire when we talk about changing what's called the status quo, which means kind of you keep things in Jerusalem the way they are, because if you change anything, somebody's going to get mad and there's got to be violence. <laughs> and that goes particularly for the Holy Sepulchre, you know, the Christian church there, which, you know, is divided up among many Christian sects. And mm. they've been among the most violent in the past few centuries when it comes to arguing with each other. Yeah. So, you know, the status quo was set up to try and avoid uh, religious conflict. But I think uh, things may change in the near future. Is there anybody that is trying to <laughs> broker anything or keep things uh, calm or keep that status quo? Or what are the who are the people that kind of are representing each side? Do you do you have names or or what their positions are? Well, you know, certainly there are plenty of people on both sides, and, I, and when I say both sides, I mean Israeli Jews as well as Palestinian Muslims who want to avoid conflict. Is it in anyone's interest to turn a religious site into a, a place of violence? Yeah. It's certainly, I think, to probably to a majority, although it's hard to know, that's just not a good idea. And certainly, I think people outside of, of Jerusalem, uh, many people feel that way. But it's very hard to cool these passions because from the Jewish perspective, many extremists, you know, more right wing or religious Jews think that they've been denied access to their most sacred site for 2000 mm -hmm. years. And yeah. now they have the political and military power they have the guns, they have control, and they want to assert that control. Same time, you have Muslims who say, wait a second, you know, we've been here for, for more than a thousand years. Uh, this is a sacred site. Why do you want to change things? It's just going to cause trouble. So you have both sides, I think the particularly the, the far ends of the spectrum of each side who are, are pushing to change things or to keep things the same, but you know, it's very hard to see a way out of this problem. I think Christians uh, have an important role to play in this because, and potentially as peacemakers, because you know Christians have, I think, less invested in who controls the Temple Mount, but a lot invested in trying to keep peace in Jerusalem, which is a, a sacred city to so many Christians. You know, I know it seems in uh, the Book of Revelations that another temple is out there somewhere. Yeah, and that's a, this is this is an interesting topic about which you know you probably know much more than I do. There are many ways of reading the mentions of a third temple. So there are evangelical Christians who support Jews in their efforts to destroy the Dome of the Rock mm -hmm. so that a third temple can be built, and in their minds uh, that paves the way for the return of Jesus. Right. Now, 
there are plenty of other Christians, however, who have very different views, who view the third temple as a not as a physical thing, but as a, a spiritual idea. I mean, did mm-hmm. Jesus really want to resume temple sacrifices? I mean, I suppose you could you could make that argument. But the point is that there are many ways of viewing those words in Revelation. But I think it's important to think about the world we live in now and what does it mean to destroy another faith's important religious site? You know, what does that mean? What does it say about those people who want to do it, Uh, whether they're Jewish or Muslim or Christian or Buddhist, for that matter, that to destroy another people's sacred site is an act of aggression and and probably not very associated with the love that... um, that that so many religions believe is the the ultimate goal of religion. I think too the the battle here with Jews and uh, Muslims, you know, it all goes back a lot to Abraham and whose son really was the right son to be the heir. You know. Yeah, and that's you know that that's an idea that you know that's a certainly a religious idea, but it's yeah. not something that I think is discussed in the the Jewish Bible. I mean, I, the word Muslim, I don't think appears. So a right. lot of these ideas that, that Muslims and Jews are opposed to each other, I think have, have drawn on texts, but it doesn't necessarily mean that these two faiths are always at odds. Um, Jews yeah. and Muslims actually got along much better with one another than Jews got along with Christians for many centuries. I mean, Christians are responsible for persecuting Jews for, uh, for well over a thousand years, even 2,000 years. And whereas Muslims have, I think, a more, let's say, there have been times when Muslims have been more tolerant of Judaism than Christians have been. So I don't think it's written in the stars that Jews and Muslims have to be enemies. Um, Yeah. There have been times, for example, when the Muslims took over Jerusalem, they allowed Jews to return because Christians forbade Jews from from even coming into Jerusalem. So the Muslims said, no, it's fine for the Jews to come in, and they allowed Christians to continue to worship. The Holy Sepulchre was not destroyed. Christianity actually thrived for the first few centuries after the Muslim arrival. It remained largely a, a Christian city. That's a a new finding based on recent archaeology. We know that churches were being built. So you know, I think we have to look at the long run of history and see that our ideas about what is sometimes uh, have changed and can mm-hmm. change again. So there's no reason why Muslims and Jews can't find a way to coexist. Yeah, yeah. This is great stuff. And you lay out a lot in your article about the beauty of the Dome of the Rock, which which it is. It is gorgeous. And maybe you want to say a quick thing about that, because you can just tell that that just really drew you in. Yes, and I've been to many ancient buildings, many religious sites around the world, but there are few places that are like the Dome of the Rock because the exterior, of course, with its golden dome is so striking. It's not a giant, massive building like, say, St. Peter's in Rome. It's not like Notre Dame Cathedral. It's not overwhelming. It's actually a fairly small building. It feels... It feels almost personal when you go in, uh, and it feels unchanged, and largely it is. I mean, the, a lot of the details have changed, but really the structure is the same as it was 1,400 years ago when it was built. So what's amazing is to walk in and to to see the incredible mosaics that surround this very plain piece of bedrock, you know, very mm-hmm. rough bedrock. The contrast 
is fascinating. You know, there's not an altar in the center. There's not someone sacrificing something in the center. It's just a rock. And it, it feels to me so simple and, and then surrounded by such beauty that it's that contrast which I think lends this place its special air. And remember, it's not a mosque. Um, it, it's not even really clear what it was built for. Yeah. Uh, it was built to maybe commemorate Muhammad going into heaven, but others have other ideas about why it was built. So it's actually a little mysterious. And the fact that the rock speaks for itself and its importance for, for all faiths, I think, gives this spot a particular sense of power, along with the, you know, the gorgeous decorations and the, you know, the ancient mosaics that surround it. It's this combination which I think lends it a particular air that uh, I've never experienced uh, in any hmm. other site in the world. Wow. So before we leave, is there anything else you'd like to tell people about what you're doing, about your book coming out on the 26th, or, or anything else? I'd say go visit Jerusalem. You know, it's great to talk about it. And Christians and Jews can go up on the, the Temple Mount, on the Noble Sanctuary. You can go visit as a tourist and you can walk around. You can't go inside the dome, but you can walk all around this complex. And it's really worth a, a day just walking around because it's a, a really magnificent place. You get great views of Jerusalem. And, and then, of course, uh, the city has all these underground spaces, and that's the, the topic of my book, Under Jerusalem, the very uh -huh. history of the world's most contested city, is you're know, looking at what is not apparent from the surface. So that's what makes Jerusalem so interesting, is there's this, uh, this whole world beneath, uh, both historical and religious, that is still being explored today. Okay. So let me summarize what I think I heard there, which is, Andrew Lawler Travel Agency will take you inside the Dome Over the Rock and through all the tunnels underneath Jerusalem. Anytime. <laughs> Just let me know, Bruce, and okay. we'll set up a tour. All right. Andrew, thank you so much for taking this time with us, and uh, great success on your book and, uh, you know, the article in National Geographic, and thank you for, for making this so timely. Yep, such a pleasure to talk with you. All right, God bless. All right, take care.